welcome to First Impressions, the podcast where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and give a big middle finger to all those haters. I'm your host, Kristen, and I am joined by, hooray, back from pregnancy, Maggie. Yay! She's back. I'm here. I made it. <laughs> I've missed you all so much. I've missed talking to adults and not my my adorable and super advanced and brilliant <laughs> seven-week-old baby. But still, it's like Bayard, my mom, and the baby. So I'm so happy to be back. Welcome back to the world of podcasting. And we are both really excited and honored to welcome today Bianca Hernandez to the podcast. You may know Bianca as at Book Hoarding on many social media account platforms. And you may also know her from her previous involvement in Drunk Austin. Bianca, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. We were just thrilled. Obviously, we followed you on all your accounts for so long and all and you're hysterical and all your posts are hysterical. So it becomes like a, a feeling of, of Jane Austen royalty on the show. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and we actually, um, so you may or may not remember, but we met in October at Jasna in Williamsburg. And you and I got to exchange a few words, but actually we wound up talking to Frank, uh, your husband, for like 45 minutes about Star Wars. And congratulations, by the way, on your marriage, your recent wedding. Thank you. I'm glad that you reminded me if and where I met you, because <laughs> let me tell you, like I went in a lot of different circles. Like I know that I feel like recently more people know me from Jane Austen stuff, but I'm also just like, where do I know somebody? Was I in costume? <laughs> what costume? But also they were in costume. <laughs> And I don't know about you, but if you hang out with cosplay people, sometimes people are completely transformed, mm -hmm. which is like magic. But also sometimes that means I don't remember exactly. <laughs> like if you are not in your full, you know, like blue man makeup, I'm going to be like, whoa. Hmm. I try to remember people based on their hair, uh, which is not a great indicator when we're talking about <laughs> cosplay because it can be completely different. Uh, so Wait. we met at the ball at Jasmine. And mm -hmm. I remember Kristen came up to me and she said, Oh my God, Bianca said, we're, we're going to go talk to Bianca. Okay, we have, I'm talking to her. I think that you guys were engaged at the time. So I, tried to I, I don't remember a ton from the ball. It was that's a okay. because We were someone, just fangirling over you. That's All I know my was point. <laughs> I kept bothering people playing whist and I went onto the dance floor maybe for two seconds and I mingled because someone had gifted me from catering a bottle of wine. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was like, you can take this bottle. We're not going to, and I was like, okay, I'm going to take this bottle. So like I had a whole bottle. <laughs> uh, so I, yes, I. Well, meeting you was a big highlight for us because we were big fans of yours. So we were just like fangirling yeah. over you. It was pretty funny. Either you or Frank gave us the shutter shades, the drunk Austin yeah. shutter shades. And yeah. so I have an Instagram picture of me, uh, you know, with the shades looking when, and I posted on my personal Instagram, I met Jane Austen. Then when I went back to the library, all my student employees were like, how was your nerdy vacation? Right. And I was like, okay, so there's this account <laughs> it's called drunk Austin. And here I am at work, like showing them this picture because it was like the highlight. And yeah, I'd like to point so out that fun. these people all work in a library. So <laughs> I don't know where they get off calling you a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Mm -mm. Not about that. Yeah. They're all nerds. <laughs> They're just jealous. They aren't as mm. cool of a nerd as you are. That is true. That is very true. Because mm -hmm. we're very cool. Mm -hmm. Facts. Well, I think cosplay is cool. And these things are cool. And people outside of this, I don't know why they don't get it. You They're know, they see us having so much fun. 
I'm just well, they do yeah. now. I mean, nerds are very popular. <laughs> I feel like things like the Marvel movies have really made nerd fandom cool, which is why we're so excited to have Bianca on the podcast because she's like a big deal fan <laughs> and she's like one of the coolest people we know. I'm very honored. I don't think I'm very cool. But that's what makes you cool, girl. Yeah, that's right. Listen, <laughs> if you thought you were cool, it wouldn't work. <laughs> All but, um, let's get into your connection with Jane Austen. How did you get into the fandom? What was your entryway? Right. I think that like entryway into fandom is so different than entryway into Austen. Cause like, mm, okay. Let's talk about both. Yeah. So like, I remember my first Jane Austen book, um, and I got it from a library book sale and it's a shitty, like one of those like 75 cent penny novels, but like, it wasn't quite like Victorian penny novel. It was like, Maybe a 70s version because Lizzie Bennett had blue eyeshadow. <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> and like, of course, as like, I must have been like a preteen probably at that point. I was like, this is such a cool cover. Oh my God, blue eyeshadow. Because like, I, that was at the time too when like blue eyeshadow was trying to come back, but it was like a pastel or glitter, right? And I was like, damn, like, look at this. I want this. I, you know, okay. So I had that book and like, I still have it. I like the smell of it is just so vis- visceral for me, but like, Clearly, it had been used for someone's college course. And I was like, oh, look, it's been used. So cool. So I tried reading it. And like, again, this was like, I was probably 10, 11, 12, like in that little, that range. And I was just like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, semicolons for There's like these blank shires. Yeah. You know, like, like I just, I, I could kind of get toward the plot of like, oh, so they're trying to get married. But like. I really wasn't equipped to really fully understand even I didn't even have a grasp of what the Regency era was. And I mean, I can talk about this now a little bit, which is I'll talk more probably about costuming, but like for me, what, what has really helped click literature to history and all these things for me has been understanding fashion, which is really, I know like some people might be what, but I'm like, literally understanding why the silhouettes are a certain way because of war import all these things mm-hmm. and I'm like that has like helped me as like an entry point to understanding how all of these cascade and connect to each other and like it's just been a fascinating foray to get really much more in historical costume because I feel like I've learned 10 times more from having those things versus when we're taught in school where it's very stratified and like and this is the thing and then this is this era in this country and you just when you don't understand importing and exporting and why that fashion, you know, like that connection is so cool. Anyway, uh, long story short is I didn't understand what the fuck Jane Austen was trying to tell me, but I know (laughs) that I for sure had seen Clueless by then. It wasn't until much later that I knew Clueless was Jane Austen, but I I like Clueless. I probably had sat through um, 1995 at some point with some family members. Um, They weren't really into that kind of like period drama stuff, but like sometimes that stuff would show up because you know pbs and such bbc things like that but it wasn't until like high school it was high school when i had to reread um some jane austen stuff and i'd given some other books a try like i'd given sense and sensibility a try and i think i was into that mansfield i just could not let, mm-hmm. like i just mm-hmm. i tried even now i still have issues but like it's sorry Kristen. yeah it's okay <laughs> <laughs> like just for me it's 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 just a long novel and it's harder and i think especially for a teen there's so much in there that just didn't grab me as a teen. Yeah. I needed that at that age, but it was Emma for me. I, I, I always feel like it's Emma for me that like, that was the book 
Um, I think if I honestly, if I if I'd read Northanger Abbey when I was 13 and like on the Star Wars forums, pretending I was a dude, because if you had a screen name that was a girl, then you were immediately like fake fangirl, just like you <laughs> probably would be today, regardless. Um, but you know, Northanger Abbey is like epitome fangirl. I would have loved that book, but it was Emma for me when I was, you know, probably close to a senior or junior in high school. And it just clicked. Like it just I felt that, like I got that of like I'm in this small town and I'm kind of stuck with these things, but what are the ways that I can kind of control the devices around me? Like, what are the things, like, who are the people in this micro community? And that, like, I don't know, it was just something about that and like her growth. I think too, you know, when you're reading um, novels of growing into adulthood as a teenager, those are really poignant and important a lot for you. Like, you know, that's why I signed Siddhartha for you to read, you know, usually that really crucial point in your time, in your, in your life. But Emma clicked for me in such a way. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and I have that copy and I've illustrated it. Like I, I'd done little like oh illustrations. Gosh. Like I have like little illustrations of like on the couch where like Elton's tr- like at the party where Elton's trying to like lean over to talk to Emma. And she's like, what is what happening? <laughs> Are they all drawn in the style of anime? No, because I'm not okay. that good at drawing. I just felt like They're I needed good. to clarify because I could just see it in my head. If, someone now, had if that- I had been me, it would have been all puffy letters because I was a teenager in the 90s. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I think that someone should do all those versions. Like I know they're slowly doing manga versions, but I'm just like, I want all of the illustrated versions because there's a tradition of illustrating Austin. Uh, maybe not like her first pub, but like, honestly, like after those first editions, after her death, the tradition of illustrating her is massive. But that's a whole, my ideas on her visual representation and why that needs to always be changing is important, uh, is a different conversation. That's a side, <laughs> side tangent. But like, yeah, Emma clicked for me in a way that like, as I went to college and was rereading her and like exploring her more, I was just like, oh shit. Like I did not know what was happening. I didn't get it. And it was just great. Like it was just like a fun thing that like I could go back to. I didn't major in literature. I would take I was the person who would audit, you know, I'd sit in your, your classes if you'd let me sit in, but I wasn't going to be able to take it for credits because that's not what I was there to get a degree in. I was there to get a degree in something else that wouldn't pay me anything. <laughs> uh, and that would be impossible <laughs> to market. Um, and I remember, you know, after, after college, I went to Boss. Like I visited my friend in the UK for yeah. a little bit because I knew before grad school, it's like, I've got a little bit of savings left. I'm not going to have any money after grad school because I'm going to a very small little known school called University of Southern California, which is going to cost me all of my money. <laughs> and I still haven't paid all those loans back. Oh, um, but I knew I wouldn't have any cash, much like a Jane Austen heroine. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to spend what I have, go to this like European trip, get to experience this for like the first, maybe only time. But one of the places that like I for sure went was Bath and like we did like the Jane Austen walking tour and our tour guide was so good. So good. She like the, the tour is technically over. And then she was like, if, if anyone wants to join me, I always, at the end of my tour, do this freebie extra where I'll walk you along this path where Anne and Wentworth would have walked and I'll read you the, the letter. Gravel path. The, gravel path, the gravel walk. Yes, we've gravel done this path. too. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, like, I even get chills now yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah, it. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Like that woman was so good. And I'm like, she's probably like a fucking volunteer who just like loves this shit. Yeah, I want to be yeah. this person at some point. But like, she was just like, whoever wants to stay. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to stay for the Wentworth letter. Like, who am I? <laughs> um, and like, that was just so magical, right? And up until that point, 
I hadn't really interacted with other fans of Austin, right? Like I had encountered tons of people who were like, Austin's just romance. And I'm like, bye. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Haters to the left. (laughs) Do not need you in my life. Um, You miserable sods. But that's why we made this podcast. I mean, they're out there and they, like I, they're still out there, but I'm always just like, oh, you know, maybe you should revisit her. You know, maybe, or maybe you should just let it go. I don't care. I enjoy her. That's all I care about. Getting to experience that and then being like, there's a whole center for her here, even though she hated Bath, blah, blah, blah. But this is still like a communing point for fans. This is still like a massive thing. And like, I didn't know a lot of that as like somebody who did love 2005 Pride and Prejudice and who was a fan of these things. I was just like, wait, like for some reason, like I hadn't sought out those online communities. And there was a really good confluence after that, which was I moved to Los Angeles, a bigger city that did have Jane Austen events. I lived in much smaller towns that didn't have those things. And then the Lizzie Bennett diaries had started coming out. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) That was like a big confluence point. Not only was it like that community, which like the con, like I really think people need to understand the context of Pemberley Digital was the parent thing, but that was owned by like that was started by part of the Vlog Brothers, and like all of their intent around their community building is really positive and wonderful. And like I think a lot of people, like as much as it's like that was a really good experience, I'm also like you need to contextualize the structure of that because anyone could have been like, I'm making this thing and it could have gone to shit. But yeah. like, they knew what they were doing. They cultivated a wonderful community and they weren't going to handle people. Like they weren't like, that was a community that was not going to stand for people being toxic to each other. And I really think that's what helped that place flourish because it was like, this is a beloved novel. Yeah. But like Star Wars is a beloved entity and that yeah. community is toxic. Right. Yeah, like, right. Mm. But I think there's so much credit is due to that community space having been like a bedrock before they went into Pemberley Digital and before they started doing these multi-platform stories. And anyway, so like that was my first, oh damn, like I love this internet fandom too. And like, I started going to local Jane Austen book clubs that were kind of friend by like the local Jasna group. But like, that was my kind of first foray. So I was experiencing Austen at that time in memes and fun things, (laughs) you know, and, Uh and then also going every once in a while, like taking like a two hour round trip bus ride to go to a book club that I would have to like, we would sit and listen to professor talk for like an hour and then we would have tea and then we would talk, you know, like yeah. it was just very different spaces, but it was still, we we're coming together because we love Jane Austen and we love the text and we love the related works. And it was, it was, it was really fun to do those differently because it was just like memes weren't going to really cross over to that book club. It was a much older demographic, yeah. yes. <laughs> but like, also me coming into the online, you know, discussions, the tw- the Twitter threads on Pemberley Digital, I wasn't going to be like, actually, if you cite this letter from Jane Austen to her sister, like that wasn't going to be, you know, the exact place for that convo. Yeah. Be like, yeah. you actually misinterpreted that one. No. And it was just really fun, like being in those places. And yeah, like after that, you know, Drunk Austen started and like she started the page and then I joined like three weeks later um and then like I was just posting all of my memes consistently for like you know and that was you know where people knew me for seven years but I also was really involved locally in Jasna on and off in different ways because I'd, I'd live in places that didn't have Jasna you know right exist. so you know that value of that structure there like when you've lived in places just does not have a Jasna I mean it is so isolating your fandom and I think that's why your internet fandom I will just briefly interrupt you to just say this one thing which is 
my love of Austin was so solitary for such a long time. And then discovering drunk Austin was a revelation because I didn't mm-hmm. realize it could also be fun and we could yeah. also be laughing. We could also be making memes. And then it was such a revelation. And it was like, we can all have a joyous community. Well, I want yeah. to just thank Bianca because I'm, I don't think it's overstating to say that your work uh, with drunk Austin is probably responsible for bringing a lot of young fans to the fandom for sure. I mean, we are now the internet and social media is where younger people live and your like sense of humor and the irreverence. And it's not a, there's not this like putting it on a pedestal. And I think younger people really respond to that and especially the humor. And so, so, and I definitely did. So, you know, thank you for that. I thought it was amazing. It's not a gate kept topic. There's no gatekeeping in like your current posts now or your posts then because it's fun for everyone and your local involvement too. Like that's always been a part. It sounds like that's always been a part of your Jane Austen fandom locally. And then nationally, you just do, you're such an activist. You're such a force in the world for, for structure and for good, which is different than me. So I need people like that to do that work. Kristen is a force for evil. I am, but I'm not chaotic evil for sure. Association work is like, okay, we're, we're talking about bonnets and letters. And all of a sudden we're talking about bylaws. And then it's like, it's work now. And it's having to relate to other people and having to make meetings on time. And I'm just not professionally it's, it's too much. And personally, it would be way too much. So the fact that you've devoted all of this time for free to doing these things, people really, really appreciate that. I think that's like the thing, right. Where like, I can fast forward and go back, but like, it was really interesting. I had a recent conversation with someone I was talking about like jazz and stuff which I can get into more details about the ja- what jazz and stuff is defined by. But I was just like, I mean, I've given enough of my free labor. Like, I've given some free time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, because the, the stuff that's basically the, the background of my involvement with jazz is I was going to book clubs. I was going to, like, meetings when I could. And, you know, I, I'd move back and forth to places I did have jazz and didn't. Um, I'd, I'd started my own Jane Austen book clubs where there weren't any book clubs, um, where there weren't even jazz and regions. But, you know, Jasmine was always a thing that I was like, oh, man, like, if I can get into a meeting, like, those are cool. They're different, but they're cool. And, like, the way that I run book clubs is probably also not the same as, like, how some of the Jasmine adjacent book clubs are, are run. Mine are usually going to be at a bar. Um, they may oh, they, I'm sure nights. yours are more fun. No offense. They, <laughs> they might include craft nights. Uh, they might include movie nights. Um, but they're a little bit looser. I think, you know... I, I feel like Jasna and New York Juvenilia might also do a little bit more similar, like out, out of the box things. But I've been going on and off to meetings. And when I moved more permanently once to the Bay Area, I was going to those regularly. I moved away, moved back. And I was really also like, I'm going to pay to be a life member because like I'm already paying enough money. Like I finally have a job, a full time job. I'm going to pay, just do this. It'll pay off itself early because I'm still in my 20s. Like it's going to pay itself off. And I did that and I got really involved locally. And it was just, it's, it's one of those things where like, I wanted to give back to a thing that like, it may not have been like the, this is my exact checklist of all the Jasmine, th- the Jane Austen ways that I want to celebrate her, but like, it was a way to celebrate her. And for me, going to some of those meetings, I was like, hey, let me just help you with marketing. Like we got some <laughs> marketing problems. If I can't, if I don't know when the next meeting is, unless I went to the last meeting, <laughs> this is a daisy chain that cannot work. Um, you know, little things like that. But I think, you know, this is just like basic stuff that I think a lot of regions, especially pre-COVID times, 
worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to get in there and like talk to other folks who also had similar, you know, questions like for other regions, if they needed questions answered. But like, I was just trying to keep, you know, this is a fun place where we can, you know, it's a tradition. This the regions existed for a long time. The orgs existed for a long time. How can we keep folks interested and keep going and all this stuff while also balancing accessibility? It sounds like you were trying to drag your Jasmine region into the 21st century. <laughs> I, the Jasmine region had kind of been like a float. Uh, I'd say, you know, you know, people get tired and I totally get that. Like I, I recently explained very much why I was tired and I get that. Sometimes you just need people to re-energize mm-hmm. and also bring things in. I think with any volunteer org, any nonprofit volunteer space I've been in, Social media marketing seems to be the thing that's always the farthest behind because usually you're not going to have a volunteer that will A, know the work Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and do it for free and then B, be listened to. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Which is is not a specific dig at just Jasna. I think it's a thing a lot of places deal with where when you get young folks in, you're just like, but we've always done it this Mm -hmm, way. And sometimes there's a reason we should change things. (laughs) Well, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of these organizations, they are run by older people. So like you were saying, they are not the ones who are social media, internet marketing savvy. But then there's this like, well, why should I listen to this millennial kind of attitude? Uh, But if you you want your organization to thrive and not wither, sometimes you got to do that. Especially too in a fandom when we're all looking to the past and we're all looking to the, the you know, and nineteenth century technology, yeah. right? Their interest might not be in uh, how to use modern technology, and it's a, it's a, in a way, a diversity issue when it comes to it, just age. First of all, because mm-hmm. I know that feeling. I mean, we have the saying we have a robust Jasna in Boise, but the first time I walked in there, it's huge, actually. But the first time I walked into one of their teas, I was the only woman. It was all white women over 50, basically. And, you you know, I'm a white woman, but even just that being so much younger gave me pause and made me think, wait, am I, am I fully welcome in this space? Am I welcome here? Do I feel comfortable? And of course, everyone was wonderful. They immediately welcomed me, you know, but that just feeling when you walk in the door can be enough sometimes to keep people from coming back. Well, anytime you're the only type of fill in the blank person in the room it can be alienating <laughs> really scary uh, Kristen all of this talk is making me think do we need an intern <laughs> are we old and out of touch yes we Our are and like, we're so bad at social media <laughs> we just go like to all Instagram live streams <laughs> well that's the are thing are we behind oh my god I that's am the like thing. a withered crone we are withered crumbs, but that we have, we have never wanted to do good social media because I used to be in social media and it's awful. Like when it's a job, it can wear you down so fast. Social media is draining. Oh my God. Like doing it on your personal after you do it all day for somebody else. Yes. Uh, Well, the problem with social media, I think there's no nine to five, right? Yeah. It's constant and it's instantaneous and people like you have to be on all the time. The engagement. If you intend to engage, people are engaging outside of the workday, right? And the other thing I would say is just the sheer volume Mm -hmm. of stuff that you create and put out every day, every week is astonishing. Like, like it's really hard work. And so I just think it needs to get recognized how much you're actually doing. 
<laughs> I mean, it's low key, probably like a combo of undiagnosed, probably ADHD. And like, <laughs> um, you know, I was just one of those gifted kids that like <laughs> liked to do a lot of shit all the time. Like, well, I was um, going to go on medication, but like my manic phase was so productive that I just couldn't. Oh, that's more true. That hits home right there. I thought I about just, not making that joke, Kristen, but I thought you might appreciate it. <laughs> Bianca, like, if you, I can cut this out, but if you don't know, I'm bipolar. So that's what she's referencing. So I just came off this like insane hypomanic face, but go ahead with your, real, I didn't know that. Well, I haven't talked to anybody in like two months. So. <laughs> like those are real things where I'm just like, oh shit. Also like when people talk about in Austin, like that's actually like a thing that just came up like recently in Jane Austen universe, the group that I ran on Facebook where it's like, Someone had wanted to ask in another Facebook group that's problematic around Jane Austen, but they'd put, they wanted to post like, who do you think might be neurodivergent characters in Jane Austen? Because mm. I'm reading these characters. Like I really relate to these characters, but this is also, I've been told symptoms of like the things that I have and I experience. And the person had to come to my group to post it because that group ixnated it and said that they did not allow discussions like that because it caused dissent in the group and that they didn't allow things like that and I'm like so she posted it in in the Jane Austen universe and along with the story about like how it got rejected and I was just like I'm glad that you have a safe space here but also someone broke down about like how Emma Woodhouse is <laughs> like <laughs> and like broke down the thing I was like oh <laughs> well that makes me feel bad now for just thinking at first she was just kind of a bitch like I was like oh no I mean I don't think like you like I don't like think those are she, mutually exclusive yeah, yeah I was gonna say you can, you can also say she's like a bitch like Lady yeah. is also a bitch but like you know like like Jane Austen specifically writes characters in a certain way but I was also like oh shit the Emma thing has me like real shook for like yeah. a while now where I'm just like Remember all those, like, it's just a montage mentally all the time. So I was like, I'm such an Emma. I'm such an Emma. I didn't like me doing like 15 things a week. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Maybe um, that's why you connected with that novel. First. I mean, that's the thing, right? And like, that's really like the key of like, what makes me love these community spaces. For me, reading Austin by myself was an experience. And I still enjoy it in some ways. But reading Austin with other people is better than anything else to me like experiencing her like experience went between to the time that 2005 pride and prejudice has come out and the last time i saw pride and prejudice 2005 in a theater because some places do those retro screen those throwback mm-hmm. screenings which it was literally the next to last movie i saw in a theater before the pandemic oh. i saw pride and prejudice at alamo draft house and then, then, like, I think it was, like, two nights later, I saw Emma. Emma, I would say that yeah. was mine, too. Yeah. And it was a sh- well, it was champagne thing. And the way the audience has reacted to that movie has changed as I've grown. And that is amazing. I'm like, that's a microcosm of what it is to read Austin with other people. When I saw 2005 as a teenager... And I was in that theater. No one was like, oh my God, yes. Yeah. When she when <laughs> when we hear the speech where she's just like, I'm 27 years old. And you know, and I, you know, I have nothing. That's why I have to say yes to Collins. And like the theater was just like dead silent when I was a kid, right? When I saw that in 2020, everyone was just like, fuck yes. Good for get you. That, like get that girl. <laughs> get that Huntsford. 
living. And I'm just like, it's just it, like, to me, I'm like, that's what's really important is that like, I love reading Austin with other people because people have amazing lived experiences and perspectives that I'm not ever going to have just me alone. I could do a million years of research and still not have everyone's experience down pat. And I learned so much from other people and through other people about Austin, but I also through those conversations learn more about people. And like, as much as yes, Austin is about like a manners kind of thing. Also like she's so much about people and how we interact with each other and like class and how that, and like, as much as Americans, especially like we don't have classes. I'm like, no, we do. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we do. And like, and I think that's why I'm like reading Austin with others is so enriching because and experiencing it, like, again, like even watching the movies and thinking like, Oh man, like the way that we react to different points is so different. The way that, I reacted to the news of Wentworth and the new adaptation being cast as a man of some, of some like background of like a black background in some way. I was like, wow, making this a story that has undertones of not only classism, but racism is going to hit home with how many of us, Mm -hmm. especially in these ages where people of color are coming into our own and are making money and are being in charge of companies and yet are still being treated like shit because of our race and I'm like man like the people who are just like out here complaining about like all these historical facts that aren't actually facts and are easily debunked with a google search I'm like just sit with your racism like I don't I don't need this but I also am so excited to have a theater outing with friends where I hope we can just rent the whole theater to watch that one day yeah and we can just experience it together and be like you know fuck this terrible family because the added layers there are going to be sublime but anyway Jane Bianca, your next meme writes itself it's gonna be <laughs> yeah sex is great but have you ever experienced often with other people <laughs> literally yeah. I think what you said is so important too and I just I so strongly relate with it because when we started this podcast in 2015 Really, I was not participating in any online community. It was just me and Maggie. And like when I Wait, go back, has and- it been six years? Yeah, it's been. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! When okay. I go back and <laughs> listen now, some op- opinions that I had were so rigid, were things I don't agree with anymore, and my my mind and worldview and the way I see these things have been so expanded by listening to other fans and what other fans have to say. So I've come to, I started this podcast with no one will listen to me to, it is great to hear all of these different perspectives. Let's talk them over. And it's so crazy to think of that one community that wouldn't allow that post because it's, I mean, it's messed up in so many ways, but fundamentally, if you don't want to have a, a discussion, why do you have a discussion group? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and I think that's the key. It's like, well, who gets to talk about Austin? How do they talk about it? And I think that's like the key that I've tried to think about when I'm in any community, right? Like who gets to talk about this thing and how do they get to talk about it? Who's empowered? And it's like, that is a group. Like there are groups that just want to retain a cis, white, like heteronormative space that erases, like just like literally, you know, they're, they're, Austin spaces that have just deleted any discussion of even black people existing at that time. And I think that like, this is why it's critical for places to like for not only people, individuals in the spaces, but people who are in charge of adjacent spaces, people who are, you know, involved in nonprofit work around this to be like, how do we 
make a stand against that kind of stuff because that's anti-racist work. Like, yeah, you need to really look at who is coming to your space and who they are keeping like out and like creating safe spaces for folks because like, you know, I, I, I even remember how many years back getting shit for being like, this is a feminist space and people being like, how dare you, you cannot do this. And I'm like, I yeah. mean, A, we can. And B, why, the, why is it your hate so much? This isn't a political group. I'm doing my like quotation marks yeah. where, where if you say anything that's related to anti-racism, diversity, inclusion, and social justice, don't get political. It's not political. <laughs> it's, and also like, it's always funny to me because um, I totally get, you know, folks in my inbox, they'll be like, it's political. And I'm like, Jane oh, Austen I love the class. For those who can't see, Bianca just sassily pushed up her glasses. It's not political. It was great. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's just like a weird thing that I'm just like, that's how I feel like they're talking. They're like, actually. Actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm always just like, Jane Austen talked about politics. Here are all the examples. Please come back yeah. to me later. Um, like, I'll I'm send not you my bit, my footnotes. List of footnotes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not here for those. I'm not going to waste my time on people that don't want to hear that. Well, and this is kind of Austin adjacent, but what you're talking about, I feel like there's a lot more conversations, especially with race going on, following Bridgerton. Yes. Which is obviously not Austin. It is, however, clearly inspired, set in a Regency world. And that uh, was so welcomed by me and many, many people. And I just, I couldn't open and well, I'd open a newspaper who does that. I couldn't go to a news site without seeing articles in mainstream media like Washington Post, you know, Entertainment Weekly, all of these things talking about the whitewashing of British history, all because of Bridgerton. And so I think we're seeing these kind of conversations now in the Austin fandom a lot because of that uh, production. And we're going to keep seeing them. I think that, you know, Mr. Malcolm's list just finished like yesterday filming and that's going to be from what I know that it is racially blind cast and it's a Regency story it's gonna be Regency film there's a short film if you want to watch it now that was kind of the precursor to it all and we're gonna have a uh, more Bridgerton well that's gonna be around for a while and they they also seem to be also working out some of their issues of representation too but also you know again we have we have a new persuasion coming we're gonna have a lot of things coming and I'm also Here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's it's multiple prongs. It's a yes, just representing people. Why, why the fuck not? Why are mm-hmm. we just continuing the the endless thing of we can only have people of color if it's a traumatic yes. story? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we erase them completely. The other thing is, I don't think I'll like. I think a lot of people who are mad about Bridgerton are just like, it's not centering me, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not, not realistic. <laughs> it's not. Oh, like someone getting eaten out on the like marble <laughs> stairs at someone's house is realistic. Come on. <laughs> we all know that's uncomfortable. We We're all know she do had, that. Like, it's so real though. Like the people who are just like up in arms and I'm like, okay, but like, A, it's fantasy. Like, yeah. why are you this yeah. upset? And I think for me, it was trying to unpack that and be like, why are you this upset? Yeah. Like, let's. Like, this is what gets me mad about Game of Thrones too. Like completely unrelated like all the violence against women and in the books, they're like 12 years old. Like, why do we have to have, I'm trying to create a realistic medieval fantasy world. Like, okay, whatever. I see it, you, George R. R. Martin. And that's the right. thing, right? I think this is like, the, all these conversations to me are not a microcosm. I'm like, 
asking why your fantasy has to continue to like hurt marginalized communities is a valid question. Yeah. Also, why are you demanding that family space, fantasy spaces that center marginalized people and their comfort and their joy? Why are you mad about that? Like, why do you? That was the thing for me, especially at Bridgerton, where people were just like, actually, black <laughs> people, whatever. And I'm like, why do you want oppression in a fantasy? Like, this is, you don't understand how romance genre works. You don't understand how this plays out. But also, this is a fantasy. These people didn't exist, except for the queen. <laughs> That's a whole different fucking can of worms dealing with those conversations. This yeah. reminds me of, um, there's been a lot of articles also written about the uh, anniversary of the Disney Cinderella that had Brandy and Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the king and queen were Vincent Garber and Whoopi Goldberg. And their son was, you know, the prince. I think he was played by a Filipino actor. They're like, in what universe? Do Whoopi Goldberg and I'm like, is this universe, bitch? Like, it's a fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Exactly. And I'm like, that's the thing. I'm like, examine why you care. And yeah, the other yeah. thing about Bridgerton that's so fun and amazing for me is like having the money discussion with people where I'm like, okay, let's just talk about money. Let's talk about audience and money and marketing. Um, not that I think that's the most important conversation, but I do think that we need to think about that if we want to have integral conversations. White people have been centered in a lot of media. When you center people of color and it brings in a ton of money, <laughs> especially compared to productions centering white people that have maybe been done 15 million times already, and that's why you're tired, you don't want to watch it, that signals to everybody that these are stories worth investing in. And I think people are just going to have to understand this is the future. The reason that Bridgerton was made was because there has been an outcry for so long asking for the bare minimum and someone finally did it. And this is proof of concept. Bridgerton making a buttload of money is proof of concept that investing in these stories and making them center people of color is going to be important going forward. But also investing in people um, behind the scenes because Netflix is smart and they were like, hey, Shonda Rhimes, we're going to throw money at you and bring you to Netflix. And she knows what she's doing. And I think too, like looking at the fact that like, that stands in direct contradiction to Sanditon. Yes. And I'm not going to get into the Sanditon like, s- like cesspool of like how that could go. But like Sanditon didn't have writers of color. Zero. And that like, that is what I'm trying to say, which is investing in these stories that are actually well done, that have the people of color behind the scenes and in front of the camera, that have that investment of trying to do a story well. That is the future. Sanditon failed because it didn't do it's the white man who's gotten to re- write Austin for a long time. And I'm frankly over white men's opinions on Austin, except for my husband's maybe. But like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, it's telling, it's telling how the actresses from Sanditon have talked about that. It's telling how the folks like have responded, how people of color have responded to both when they first came out. And I think that like, Bridgerton does stuff differently because it just is the future. It makes money. And that's so funny too, because sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm going to keep talking. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, go. Um, I follow the Sanditon, like save Sanditon boards. I mean, I enjoyed it. It was fine, whatever. But the interest of Bridgerton 
has actually led to renewed interest in Sanditon and everyone's a flurry because they think there might actually now be a season two. There's been like casting announcements that were posted looking for actors for Sanditon season two. So everyone keeps thinking an announcement is coming. That would not happen without Bridgerton because that leads to renewed interest in Austin and, you know, Regency historical drama. Uh, and so it's just like, I'm wondering if there is a Sanditon season two, if they will shift more towards a Bridgerton type production. I don't know. We'll have to see. But it's interesting. When I think they would have to. Like, I think that like in this new world, you would have to do that or it would be another waste of time. Yeah. And especially after the actress, um, I can't remember her name. Crystal, um, Crystal Clark. Thank is you. That you're she basically called out on Instagram and Twitter the production for their lack of diversity. Um, I would hope that there would be some positive. If you're going to tell the story of a Black woman, you need to have voices in the writer's room. And I, I think she had to go back to them and say, no, this is, an appro- this is not what this character would have said or felt. And then she shouldn't, that's a burden that shouldn't be on her. Yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to that say, is, I'm not paid to like do rewrites yeah, for you. Yes. <laughs> yes it's, now she has to be a consultant, which is unpaid emotional labor that she's yep. in this, this, this sea of, of people who want to tell a story. That, anyway, I was, I was going to say one of the things, just as a, a slight aside, one of the things I loved about Bridgerton is that it wasn't um, exactly colorblind because they wrote into the story. Yeah. It was only one or two lines, which was explaining something like these characters, our Black characters that are now in the gentility were elevated and given titles because Queen Charlotte is Black and the King married her and then things changed racially. And wasn't that so interesting? It made the story more interesting because all of a sudden they were super, his father was more invested in this title and, and there was a money, there was sort of a, a prestige and saying like, we need to hold on to this. And I think I, I just, if somebody really struggled and with the lack of historical accuracy, that was an explanation to, in two sentences that would be make everything, you know, like make everything make sense to you fantasy wise, not that it needed to, but I, I just thought it was, it was brilliant and it made the story better. And I know you were saying something to Bianca about like, they could even do better. And I think that you said they were going to try. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're trying as far as just, especially just like having more representation, like they did have black actors, but like, we know that the British colony like the British colonized more countries. Yeah. Um, I did notice a lot of what looked like maybe, um, like Southeast Asian and stuff like that, people in the background and like ball scenes and stuff. But yeah, I think having more like speaking roles and important secondary characters like that would be very cool. It seems like they're going for that, like from their recent casting announcement. But I also think on the Austin track, it's just like, this is just where it's going because that's where money is. Because why don't people deserve to have their story told? And I think like for me, like especially looking at like the, the negative reactions again, like for Wentworth, I'm like, you had white Wentworths. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty. There's plenty. There's several. Yeah. We've (laughs) had this. Yes. You've had this and, and, and giving Wentworth either black or a biracial background that makes the story more interesting. They might be treated as totally colorblind or they might bring that element into the story, but either way it gives it a dimension. How hurtful would it be? That could be a big reason why she was, her family yeah, was her so family against it. Like, like, to me, it makes I mean? so much sense. Yes, yes. yes. And I think- This too, is going like, to be hard to listen to because we're just all like saying the like, same thing. Like, yeah, it's my <laughs> <laughs> And like theaters though, theaters have done like 
declined casting for so long. So it's very weird to me that these people are supposed to be like, like, yep, like, I'm so classy. And I'm just like, and yet, if you've gone to the theater, as I say, like, try to do a fancy face, most, a lot of productions are racially blind cast these days. It's just where things have been moving for a long time. I think the issue is that Hollywood, like it, like many industries on different playing fields, right? As far as diversity and like having that representation there. But I'm like, yo, like theaters have been doing this for a while too. Like, I don't see you showing up to your local theater and being mad that your community theater, like of their pool of actors, use their pool of actors to fill the Bennett's. And some of the Bennett's don't look the same. And that's (laughs) fine because the Bennett's usually don't look the same because they're not all actually siblings. Like you just happen to have an issue with the fact that like, the whole point, I guess, is like, I, I people are uncomfortable and I just want them to unpack it without having to yell at everybody on the internet and ruining it for everybody else. Because that was my issue with it. Like, I'd see posts where people are like, I'm so excited for Bridgerton because and it like was something that connected to them. And that's people coming in being like, I hated it. It was ugly. Blah. And I'm like, why? But why? Why Why? did you need to do that? Yeah, now, I, now, maybe you didn't enjoy Bridgerton because, you know, you thought that it was very repetitive or I don't know who would say There's a that. host of reasons. Yeah. Like there's, de- there's definitely things that you can be, there are legitimate criticisms and critical. And some of this uh, is difference in taste, right? One half yeah, like of the world. My mom pleasures would of the probably other. not get through like all the sex stuff. She would just yeah. be like, oh, no. but that doesn't mean that she doesn't, you know, that does, that is separate from that issue. Yeah, and I think, Bianca, too, in one of your um, videos that you made, I think just for your YouTube channel, and you were talking to other customers, and you were saying, you know, stop gatekeeping who can enjoy or that the fact that people can enjoy Bridgerton. I mean, if you care, and I'm paraphrasing, you can correct me, but it's like, it was something that was like, you are gatekeeping because this is bringing people a lot of joy and you are immediately going on their threads and telling them that they can't feel that joy. And it's yeah. exactly as you said. And it's like, if you care that much about some costuming detail and, and those details are really important to you, I'm not saying you can't care about those things. I'm just saying you need to take a step back and think about what you're saying and how it affects other people and their joy and their enjoyment. And they have every right. And, you know, it, it, it connects to to some of the things I've said in the past about the Mansfield Park, the Patricia Rosima adaptation of Mansfield Park, I got really frustrated with it. And I never considered why other people might connect with it. And I think that video was that video and some of the Reclaiming Jane podcasts and our conversation with them. It just turned the light bulb on for me that like, I really need to stop being so angry about this movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I really need to take a step back. And as you were just saying, unpack it, think about why, think about your actions and what, how they affect other people. Like that's the, that's the, that is Jane Austen. That is what the base of what she's saying. Think about how your actions impact other people. That's what we're all here for. And we're reading these books and we're treating them so reverently and we're missing, are you missing that message? You know? They are. I think like that's been like a big thing for me. I'm like, oh, you think you're Lizzie Bennett, honey, but you're Lady Catherine. Okay. Uh, ooh, snap. Uh, this is like they <laughs> trying to convince me that the new Star Wars trilogy is terrible, even though I enjoy it. And he, I mean, his reasons are not the like gross reasons, like, oh, raisin berries, dude, blah. Um, he like has 
again, I was saying like legitimate critiques, which are fine, but I still think it's fun. So finally he would launch into his spiel and I just had to be like, I don't want to talk about this. I enjoy it. You just have to look at that. You can just, like, <laughs> it's not easy. Like, I think that's the thing. I've talked to other people where I'm just like, it's just so easy to not shit on someone's parade. Like that's my whole thing. If it's like harmful, right? Don't like, shit on other people's fandoms. Yeah. I'm like, if it's like a harmful thing that's happening, I'm like, it's different, but like, it's not harming you for someone to love a thing. That's different. I'm also like, at the very core too, I keep going back to like, like, as you mentioned, like the gatekeeping Bridgerton video where I was really talking to you about the idea that like fandom is about something that we all love and this thing gets really popular in a lot of fandoms and Star Wars is one of them, the takedown video where it's like, I'm going to critique every single little thing about this and tell you why you should fucking hate it. And it's just like, then that it seems to me like you aren't a fucking fan of this thing because you don't seem to love it and you seem to want everyone to fucking hate it and you seem to want to like make your fans as toxic as you are. And I'm just, I'm not here for this because this is not okay. And like, you can't on one hand being like, we are so open to everybody. And then the other be like, fuck this polyester it's so ugly and I'm like not even can afford fucking silk fuck you like we can't like people can't and like you can't do both you can't do that like we want everyone to be here but I still get to be a massive bitch to everybody and be like this isn't perfect blah 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 and it's just like we like most historical costumers especially like newbies are not trying to be reenactors like I don't think you could accuse most of the newbies is trying to attempt to be reenactors. Like some people might be like, I'm trying to build up to that, but I don't think you could accuse the majority of them of trying to pretend that they are already reenactors. And in that space, like they're very protective of why they use specific things. I'm like, good for y'all. I still think there's minor gatekeeping in those spaces because of that, because if you're going to maintain, you can only participate in these things. If you meet these criteria, you have to give resources. You have to mentor. I digress. But like, that's a big thing in communities. I'm just like making them cesspools of negativity where then you, you, you create a circle around like, we can't talk about how Charlotte might be a lesbian because that makes some people upset. We can't talk about neurodivergent characters. That makes some people upset. And it's like, but who, who are you protecting and who are you excluding? And I think like, that's the big conversation that everyone's having in their spaces. And I think that, you know, like the Jasmine thing was over the summer, they were like, we're going to put together a committee to like help with diversity and equity. And then they kind of didn't realize what that means. And I think a lot of places are grappling with that. Like, I don't think it's just Jasna, but I think a lot of places are grappling with that because they thought we could just say a thing and we could say we were trying and then we could put some people to think about that. Yes. But they didn't really understand. That means a commitment to structural yeah, to change. change. Like after uh, like this summer with the, uh, or I guess this summer, last summer with the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter, all the companies on social media, <laughs> yeah, statement, yeah, yeah. Like, perfor- uh, like performative allyship and stuff like allyship, um, things like we support Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. And then people were like, okay, Nike, what are you doing other than just posting on Instagram? Like show me yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. I'm like, people who are just like, yes, that place posts this thing. And I'm like, but what are they doing? They gave us no actions. And I think that's like, especially right now, we're getting close to a year of it. And if you are still accepting that these places are trying when they've done nothing besides make a really shitty, vague comment, and especially too, 
I saw the vague comments coming out again for Black History Month. I saw the vague comments of commitment to change coming out around the stop, like, you know, Asian hate, stop, you know, AAPI hate. I'm just like, you guys are not listening. If any of you are like, they're doing such hard work and you're not asking what they're doing and getting the receipts too, because part of this is also some places will be like, no, look at all the stuff we're doing. And it's like, but are you? Like, yeah, so um, recent example, the Georgia voting uh, restriction laws, you know, Coca-Cola and Delta came out with statements. And it's like, but what are you doing? Show me the money. I was going to say too, um, if the mission, and, and the mission is, right, of Jasna, and I don't know, I've not read their mission statement, but it's to promote the love and share the love of Jane Austen, not just to keep it within the community of people who already love Jane Austen, right? Uh, we'll die out if nobody new comes in, right? So imagine, I just think sometimes, imagine if I had been a young Black man walking into the Boise Jasna, and it's all 50-year-old white women. And even I, a white woman who's getting into middle age, was a little intimidated. How would, you know what I mean? It's like, that yep. takes a lot of bravery. I'm not saying people wouldn't do it, um, but it takes a lot of bravery to be the first person to come in and start to engage with that space. And it can't just be, you know, people can come in if they want to. It can't just be that. I'm sure everyone there would have been perfectly lovely, but it has to be, we have to make an active effort to make sure that these people feel welcome and outreach to where they are. Yes. You know what I mean? Using channels that they are. And, and, and that is the way that, that the message of Jane Austen is going to be get out. And one of the things I wanted to say too about this is sometimes I'm really convicted in my heart, like, because on a first surface level read, Austen, and I, you know, I think that that if you read deeper, this isn't really true. But I think on a surface level read, what Austin is saying is respect your elders. Don't rock the boat. You can't say what you think. You know what I mean? It's politeness is key. You know, like the problem, too, in the in the community is politeness is king. Right. Like we're we, no one. No one wants to have these hard conversations. And part of that, I think, is actually a white American cultural thing. I saw a tweet now I'm digressing too, but I saw a tweet the other day. It just stayed with me and I wish I could remember who tweeted it, but I forgot, but it stayed with me. And it's, it, it was white people don't have the concept of real talk. And I completely agree with that hundred percent. I know in my life, if I've, you know, approached my friends or family members who are also white and said, Hey, what you did really hurt my feelings, especially if I sound upset all of a sudden I'm the bad guy. I'm the antichrist for suggesting mm -hmm. they ever in their life did anything to make anyone else feel the slightest bit upset. And it's like, no, we all have done things that unintentionally or made other people upset. You have to stop and take responsibility for that. I mean, it's not, you're not going to die. Your, your personal identity is not being attacked. If I said, oh, something you said was hurtful. All you have to do is take a step back and address that. It doesn't cost you anything to apologize when you see somebody is hurt. You should be sad if you see somebody is hurt. You know what I mean? And then you should start to want to work on it. I, that's that's a moral imperative. And I don't understand why people don't have that. And it's also weird because I, I genuinely feel like you're right. Like that people feel like any kind of, hey, that's you know, not okay. It's like an act of war against yes. them. And I'm oh, like, actually, you. like treating it like that 
talks a lot about like the conversations about like white fragility because I'm like most of us are not trying to like be like how dare you you don't deserve to live like no we're pointing it out and we're doing the extra labor that probably other people have already done for you to be like hey like just so you're aware like the reason why it's not okay for you to mispronounce black people's name and only black people's names is because and like if you if you know just letting you know that it's a habit you have you should probably think about it that's not saying like you deserve to like go away to like live on your own in a colony it's saying like this is trying to gently tell you what you're doing is rude and like what you're doing is probably problematic but i'm gently telling you this is what you're doing please correct because it's hurting other people and like it's it's just so bonkers because like you're 100% right like people are just acting like these are acts of sustained rudeness and how dare you and i'm like yo like if you can't just let someone have that conversation with you i don't know how you've gotten through your whole life oh it's probably cuz you're privileged enough to never have had to deal with critique yeah you have to separate i mean there are racist actions that you can you may be doing that you need to stop and think I need to not do this anymore. It doesn't mean you have to go to a new, new Australia that we made just for racists. You know what I mean? Like, but you, could we? <laughs> there could be something to this. It's not the I'm end thinking. of your life. It's a chance to grow. And it's, it's people just, don't want to grow though. Right. I know they don't want to, they don't want to be told. And I understand that they're in the Austin space to just have fun and be happy. And all of a sudden someone told them that they have to grow. Like, I'm sorry, you know, what's shittier than that. You know, what's worse than that being a person of color and not being allowed into the community or being disrespected or being part of the community. And then someone says something and you feel that you're othered. Right. Like you, like, that's it. That's the thing where I'm like, but for who? Whose comfort are we sending? Yeah, exactly. Conversations? Because I'm like, who's in the room and who's missing? And like, that's really the core of like a lot of DEI work. It's like, who's in the space, who is not? And I, that was my frustration. Eventually when I like left my stuff, it was because for Jasmine, my commitments there, because I was just like, nationally, I left that because I kept hearing, I kept, you know, we all got the things. It's on my blog. I have all the receipts there because I, it's there where they talk about wanting to do better and then the doing better was then always critiqued, always brought back as, well, the purpose of the, the org is to, you know, expand readership of Jane Austen and all that. So your purpose as a group is to, you know, work on getting Jane Austen to diverse, you know, getting diverse people to read Jane Austen, but not change our membership. And I'm like, what the hell is the problem here? Yeah. Why are those? And I'm not saying that it needs to be some weird we're just like, this is just a membership pooling thing. But I'm like, why wouldn't those be working in tandem? Also, really, it just, you know, those gut things you get where I'm like, this feels icky. And like, for me, the ickiness of the idea of being like, we have to bring Jane Austen, this 200 year old white woman, uh, or this, you know, she's been dead for 200 years, we have to bring her work to like people of color is very colonial because I'm like, mm-hmm, A, mm-hmm. most people already have to read her in school. Yeah. B, <laughs> what if the work, instead of this like shutdown, this is what we're doing. This is what you have to do. This is like, this is your prerogative. What if having the discussion about like, what does that mean about, hey, maybe we could also have a sister program with local regions where there's mentorship. But in that, we also have to do the work of making sure that local regions are anti-racist and that they have community guidelines that they are aware of going in saying like, hey, you might be interacting with communities that you, you know, as a person may not interact with on a personal level in real life. 
So this is how you treat other people with respect. Just letting you know, just an FYI, just things like that. Then like, you know, you can't just be like, this is a thing and you can't talk about AGMs and how they can work and all these things. I'm like they all work together because yeah. this is a structural thing. And also, you know, bringing Jane Austen to somebody and I'm trying to force them to read it when yeah, they right, don't relate right, to right, it right, right. is not always going to be successful like why don't we then have a bigger discussion about like should we be putting Evie Zaboy's work into this right like she wrote Pride which is a much I feel like it's an Afro Latinx story which not international I've heard I've seen people label it as international like it is written about American experiences they just happen to be multiracial and from like different their homes are just homes that you've not experienced. But mm-hmm. these are people who, I mean, just like my dad would be like, I'm American, even though he was born somewhere else. And like, he's, you know, he's lived here long enough. I think people really need to adjust the idea that people of color are also in your community and they are also calling themselves American or from that city or from whatever. And like, if you just tick the box in your head that any person of color is quote international, then you're <laughs> automatically not understanding how you could relate to them right. and how. Oh, you... Where are you from? Where's your yeah, family right, from? Right. right. But, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. I just think. Like, but then you, know, you get the like real America. Remember, remember that bullshit? Oh uh, we got that too, like in uh, with Virginia, because we have a very Northern Virginia, Southern Virginia divide. Well, they're from real Virginia, meaning Southern white more rural conservative Virginia it makes me angry but there's this idea of Austin like you're a missionary right yeah for Austin and I feel like that's kind of what it sounds like Jasna was kind of going for maybe there are things that if you would just as you're saying go into a, a a classroom of black children and handed them Austin might even be harmful. Like you're supposed to it love these awesome. people who are white and who, who were called, you know what I mean? And yes. so, and so what's, it, it is very interesting to talk about what she may have meant under the scenes. And, but you can't just push it on people with no context, nor should you, should you want to. So all, but so what the work really needs to be done is to start having these conversations that why that might, this might be interesting to your community is these reasons. Let's talk what, let's talk about the subtext. And I don't know. I think that stuff's really fascinating. And I don't know now I'm just rambling, but I I do feel that it has to be done with scaffolding with a lot of help. And, you know, if people aren't interested, they're not interested, but we know people of color are like, if you ever watch the, the web series, black girl in a big dress, which is incredible. She's having the time of her life. She wants to cosplay here. And, and there are so many more people who could be having the time of their lives. And this, this community is not helping that, right? Well, yeah. well, I've mentioned this before, but a good example of what you're kind of talking about, Kristen, I think is Kevin Kwan and his novels, yeah. um, where he has very explicitly said that Austin was a big inspiration for him when he was writing Crazy Rich Asians. And when he read it, he as uh, when he was younger, he was just like, oh my God, this is Singapore. And he made that connection himself. <laughs> yeah, right. There's but so maybe much to that's to. not something that everyone would be able to do. I mean, but maybe p- people come in and their primary interest is the fan fiction that represents them. Maybe, yeah. you know, and that's, we. Jasmine needs to expand to cover Jeff, right? I mean, I think those are all parts of the conversation, right? I think, it, I think too, like you said, like it's scaffold, scaffolding. I think it's like, what what are the other parts of this like these aren't just like like with anything this isn't just an isolated thing like where who is doing this are they 
are they problematic? Have we assessed? <laughs> uh, and I think too, what was also frustrating in this was the whole assumption that like, it should just be like, Jedi is just doing this thing, like the, the diversity and equity thing should mm-hmm. just be doing this little thing and that national will be handling the rest. And I'm like, really? Who, who will national? Cause some of y'all have heard and some of y'all are problematic. Um, <laughs> you know, like literally being like, what do you mean by safe space? And being upset with us for saying safe space. And I think like those are the little things that made it really clear to me that I was, my opinion is not only not wanted, it's not being useful. I'm wasting my time. And I also like the thing that I always stress, stress, stress about this was the thing that stressed me. I feel a moral obligation for every single person that's joined Jasmine because of me. Every single person. And like, I'm sure there are people who feel that too. I'm not trashing on you, but like, y'all said, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm so popular, but I have gotten DMs from people. I know this is a fact. There are people who joined Jasna because I was very visible in the community space. And because Mm -hmm. of that, I also sometimes post about my Jane Austen stuff that I do for Jasna. There are people who joined because of me and I feel responsible for their safety. And if I could not ensure that any of the stuff that I was trying to do could create a safe space for them, I felt like I needed to publicly explain what was happening and that I could not ensure a safe space for them. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, that's the core of really like all of it, because I was so stressed out thinking about like people being like Bianca's on this thing. And like, I was constantly getting comments about that in DMs. I'm so excited because like, it means that Jasmine's listening. And like, all I could think was like, I don't feel heard. And like, I'm sure I'm not the only person who feels this way, but I'm not going to speak for them. But like, I felt like I wasn't being heard. And I, this is situations I've dealt with at work and other DEI spaces too. So it wasn't new to me, but what really like kept me up at night was the people who've joined because of me. And if they experience some bad shit, even when I've tried to keep, to keep the conversation going, about changes that need to be made. Cause it was the perspective I see in a lot of the spaces I work in um, and have dealt with. It's just like, they kind of, the assumption that nothing bad has happened Mm. even when you give them cases Mm -hmm. even when you and it's this weird the the thing that I kept getting that I talk about in my posts is like they wanted examples and I'm like why do you need these individual testimonials of trauma like I'm sorry but like you should just trust us when you when we say we need to discuss how to further protect people how to like make things not problematic like how to vet things how to audit things at the core it was just like I can't make any change here. And it's also clear to me that this doesn't want to hear those changes. And like, I don't want to just be like, we've brought Jane Austen to people of color. I'm like, people of color, I read Austen. Like, yeah. yeah, you're not bringing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And trying I'm to like, encourage more diverse people to join your organization is not bringing anything <laughs> to people. Like, Jasna, okay, like, you're all right, but... Like you're not, you're not some gift to the world. Yeah, without Jasmine, people could still read Austin and yeah. could oh, still read, shocking. learn, just read criticism of Austin. You know what I mean? And like it's that was available. the thing too. I was just like, okay, so then like that also tells me that like if you want us to not talk about membership expansion, then like four diverse groups and you refuse to do demographic surveys, even voluntary voluntary ones. It goes back to the conversation we had about money. Literally, like, even if you don't care morally, because, like, I think you should, but, like, whatever. Money's on the table. 
I'm sorry. That's just like a basic, like real conversation most nonprofits have. Mm-hmm. Who is our opportunity audience? Who are we missing? This is conversations I've had at other places. And it's just like, I mean, if if your core thing is like membership and like money and that helps the same programs and stuff and, and scholarships and donations, that's money. Those yeah. are numbers that are con- going to yeah. It's like an untapped market. Like there yeah. are people out there that you need to encourage to join your group because they'll pay. How do you keep your group going if you are yeah. losing members, if they age out? Yeah. And also if you have whole generations of white people too who want to make sure they're in spaces their friends can come to yeah and that they want to support organizations that have actually done the work like what does that say and again that's not just the jasmine thing that's a thing that i see a lot of places where i'm like yeah i'm not gonna join that thing because like they let all those problematic things happen and i'm not not gonna be part of that you know yeah. like i can choose where to spend my time and money but it all goes back to like i think honestly it's the bigger structural conversations that every place is having right now which is the challenge of when you say that you want to create a community, who do you mean? And like, I think that a lot of people want to be like, no, we mean everybody. But I'm like, I really just, if you don't mean everybody, don't say that. Yeah, like, it's that okay. easy. And like, I think that's like the reason for my frustration in any conversation around this stuff. Where I'm like, don't just, don't say it then. Don't put out vague statements that you're not going to live up to because honestly, it creates a liability, period. Like if you are saying we're creating a safe space for everybody and then you bring a bunch of people in and then like something bad happens yeah, and you didn't do anything to prevent it. And that's again, not just for this org, it's any org. This is right. something like anyone who's heard me talk about nonprofits that need to do better. This is a conversation. You should right. not be waiting for a bad thing to happen. If you follow change the museum, that Instagram account, bad things have happened. And a lot of museums are still just like, we don't know. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> and it's just like, no, there's clearly documented incidents of bad things happening. And yet you still go, we're doing our best. Yeah, 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 right. It's right. like having an online conference without a code of conduct or with a code of conduct with no way to report a code of conduct violation. Are you really there to be supportive or are you CYA, you know, in a, in a really ineffective uh, window dressing way that, again, you know, I also agree. I think we have a moral imperative to make sure every space that we're operating in is inclusive. And we just do. And, you know, if some days you're, you're exhausted and you're mentally ill that day, like me and you, you know, log off, but when you're on do better, you know? So and when people are offering to give you free help and advice, yeah. Take it. yeah. Like I, for like for virtual Jane con, the all Jane Austen all weekend thing that I'm the the virtual conference that like I'm I glad you brought that up because yes, I definitely want to talk about talk, that. We need to boost the signal. Um, it's coming up. Um, it's going to be May first and second, and like you know, I've brought in a ton of people uh, or, or more people to volunteer um, this year to help with it because like last year was kind of just like oh I'm just going to put this thing together really fast because we're in pandemic and like we're all miserable and we're missing each other and that's also like a time that usually like we would have been having Jane Austen events you know yeah like our quarterly events and I just like I the the turnout was amazing we even had trolls which I think is a success <laughs> like you took like, the time to come troll our Jane Con like oh my you're god adorable. <laughs> like, okay like I'm sad I'm like a little like yeah I'm sad for people who had to like deal with it but also I'm just like well, that's kind of a mark of like, you, you, know, you made it. So like, but this year I brought in like more people and I want to keep growing it because I, 
a like no person should be an island but also b like i really think there's something to be said for like with a multitude of perspectives on how to do something better like i'm not going to be an expert on doing something but like enough brains on something enough minds on something can help something grow and be amazing and having that yeah. space to actually have the conversation instead of me being like this is my thing this is how i'm gonna run it and i'm like i mean like even my rom-com bracket is the nominations are from everybody yeah do i think the mummy is a fucking rom-com <laughs> I oh, oh i love that movie <laughs> Yeah, you know, they had never seen that, so I made him watch it a couple months ago. He's like, "This is actually a really fun movie." And I'm like, classic. "See, you never <laughs> trust me." It's you like more, it's, it's more romantic than Indiana Jones. So I'm just <laughs> like, "Okay, all right." It's, it's an adventure rom com. <laughs> it's not quite romantic. Stone, is that but is that crazy mummy ever gonna find love? I don't know. Anaxunamun, Anaxunamun. It's not a bad movie. I like. I enjoy. It's, it's fun. It is also problematic in several ways, uh, but you know, it's for me. I find it. I think it's definitely problematic. I think uh, part of my discussions at the end of this rom com bracket cycle was we need to keep talking about how like the new rom coms that we're nominating are more diverse and are less cringy when you rewatch them versus a lot of the classics that I'm like, oh, there's some problematic (laughs) shit. Like even if it's just one comment. Bridget Jones's mother yeah. but like there's shit that I'm just like yo like it's an ongoing discussion there but um I'll we'll say we just talked about Bridget Jones Bridget Jones's mother is horrifying but she's purposefully horrifying I'm not giving it a pass but like you're supposed to be like Ugh. and I think that's the thing it's like at that time people were like how do we portray bad people and it's like well let's just have them be casually racist (laughs) and it's like and now the discussion is just like yes people that are terrible like but like how do we signal that in a way that's not harmful not harmful yeah Yeah, not hurtful to someone in the audience yeah Yeah. Yeah. i feel like again like this is like the discussions of like how hollywood changes and how those like how we discuss things changes and i think that's important and i think like rom-com bracket is a microcosm of that but that's also the austin discussion it's like how do we interpret austin and how do we the illustrations of Mr. Darcy have changed drastically based on what society at that time saw as handsome. Yeah. Um, you know, Ooh, like, I love this idea of Mr. Darcy as like an avatar for what society deems like the ideal man. <laughs> yeah. I have a talk for that that I've done at a couple places. That's actually interesting. Um, so I, I'm just now I'm thinking like, who is the 2021 Mr. Darcy? <laughs> <laughs> And I think, too, what's interesting is uh, the 1940 was almost Cary Grant mm-hmm. um, instead of Olivier, too. And so, like, part of me is always just, like, how would we have viewed Darcy differently if it hadn't yeah. been Olivier? Um, I think that the ideal 2021 20, Mr. Darcy is probably, oh, what is his name? Who's the guy who was Killmonger and uh, Creed? Oh, Michael B. Jordan? Are you thinking Oh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see my my dream would be oscar isaac Ooh. and um john boyega as some iteration oh. of darcy and bingley like i want I, them to be buddies yeah again, but i want them to be like wingman buddies <laughs> but i want them so yeah. badly I like that. not to be rude both very short <laughs> i'm just saying talking <laughs> ideal but the body shame i mean not to be real with you, but I was on a red carpet for a movie 
and that hero was not very tall. So, <laughs> is that, so, so Johnny all, Flynn. All actors are shorter than yeah, you think they, they are. They're shorter than you think. Yeah, they're so, all short. They all have to have like if it does, it. and Tom Cruise is short too. They, they, oh, he is tiny. He's like yeah. he comes up to my knee. The magic of cinema. They dig a hole. They dig a hole, and they're like, "Hey, Blanchett, stand in this hole, so that you're like." Well, also, I'm like, here's the thing: as someone who has consistently been under five two my entire life, um, slightly taller than Queen Victoria, but not by much. Oh, bless like, your heart! Like tall people is a relative term. That's true. I mean, I'm, I'm just, average. I'm five six, so like. Maybe I maybe some of us would be happy with like the short representation and be like, no, listen, <laughs> okay, yeah. like we as a short fine. person, we need short representation. But I I also think that we can short have representation. We can have the We're ideal. Down here. We're down here. <laughs> hey guys. Short does not disqualify you from being a romantic ideal, though. I guess that depends on the person. And, in, and we shouldn't body shame. You know, yes, we have to be accepted. We've had plenty of tall Darcy's. It is the it's time. true. You know what we need is a thick Darcy. Yeah, I would be so on board. Dad Bob Darcy Darcy. or Dad Bob Darcy. Yes, I love it. That is, I do love a Dad Bob and a beard. This is why like I'm always just like that's why I'm down, especially for like modernizations. Like take us to new places. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like bring this. Like this podcast has either gone off the rails or it got really interesting. I can't decide. Well, yeah, no. So to go back on the rails, like, um, <laughs> Bianca, can, can you tell us some more about virtual Jane Con? Like where can people find out about it? Yes, and, it says, and you said it was May 1st and... through 2nd. Is that right? Yeah, it's May 1st and 2nd. And the programming right now is all on YouTube, but I'm probably going to do like some fun, like live tweet things at some point. Um, but all the programming is all going to be on YouTube this year. So they should be live and in Premiere, so you can, like, have chat functionality. Cool. Um, Last year, it was on all the platforms, and that was kind of chaotic. So iterating, learning. Um, And, uh, yeah, the program will be up. There is a Virtual Gen Con um, Facebook event, an Instagram page, and a Twitter. And we also have a little newsletter signed up because Virtual Gen Con will be shifting changing and maybe becoming bigger and maybe a nonprofit one day Yay, oh my gosh um, that's like my three, baby. yeah it's my goal it's my dream um you know i'm sure it might take a while to get there but like we do you know people love this thing but also you know not only can you watch it you know from wherever you can watch it later if you know people leave their, their videos up um but also you know, people have cool stuff to say throughout the year like some people are on deadline right now at the end of the semester and can't do mm-hmm. it and i'm like I get it. So there are just tons of really cool ideas. And I also think it's a really good community. So I think, you know, definitely folks can participate in it this year. You know, it's big May 1st and 2nd, but I'd also say, you know, sign up, follow so that you can be there for the future things because we're going to do some fun stuff through the year. I think it's so important too that it's a virtual Jane Con. So here's my thing. So virtual conferences have gotten really good because of the pandemic. We know we, as you said, we're iterating. We know how to do them better now. It is so important to keep virtual conferences around. It yeah. is so important for diversity um, and accessibility. And accessibility. Not everybody can fly to wherever and like be able to walk around the convention center all day and do all that stuff. 
So, and here's the other thing. I mean, I went to a conference that's usually 500 people. It had 1500 people that year, people from places that were not the U S people for who, cause I'm a librarian, librarian conferences, people do not have the budget to travel. They have to travel out of pocket. Mm-hmm. It opens up a world. And so I'm really excited for the virtual aspect of it as well. I mean, if Jasna, I mean, if we want to bring and give more people opportunities to participate in the Jane Austen space, virtual is the way to go. Right. And like, it's a thing that I think has proven successful for a lot of folks that have been doing the IRL thing too, because like, I know somebody who, who works in a space that like my area of my region is massive. So like, I definitely think that like places should be encouraging like virtual events just for accessibility of like after the pandemic, keeping some kind of virtual aspects. I think it's always going to be hard to be like, we have a live stream and the thing, if you don't have tech for it. But like, I do think you're right. Like, it's really important to keep some portions of this to have some virtual programs because A, renting venues is expensive as yeah, shit. it is. And B, like, especially especially from, like, I'm in San Francisco. Like, renting venues anywhere in the Bay Area is a lot of money. But also, I'm just like, at its core, like, uh, when you host stuff on YouTube, yes, it's, it's like people can tune in from anywhere at any time. They can watch it later. There's also the ability to put like captions in there, live captions, like they may not be perfect, but like, especially like if you pre-edit something in Premiere, you have a chance to edit those captions. But I'm also just, there's so many options, like this really opens up for keeping people in the conversation and feel like they're included. And the other thing that I try, you know, for virtual Gen Con, it's all community made. So it's like, I'm not being like, I am selecting yeah, this yeah. little envelope, the right. three people right. that will get to be the Bianca's big. Jane Con. But Bianca <laughs> likes about Jane Austen. But like shocking, like shockingly and funnily enough, it's like it is like my perfect Jane Con everybody <laughs> talking. Because about, what like, you want is you like because that's people. what you want. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's so cool. And like the, the stuff that we have right now, like we have someone who's gonna do kind of like this interpretation play thing about like Abigail Adams and Jane Austen what they would have oh, said wow. to each other and like if cool. somebody yeah. who's, like, <laughs> cool. super like that's the thing like, like they've worked on like they're they're an interpreter and like they're really into this thing and I'm like oh my god and then we have people who are talking about you know like we've got some costuming folks people who are talking about different aspects of the novels and like they're all different levels like it's not just academic it's like folks who are just like enthusiast fans people who come out at any place we also have like people who are talking about like the connections between tabletop role-playing games and Jane Austen stuff and like Jane Austen world, like, cause yeah. there are Jane Austen like RPG things. So I'm just like, uh, yes, this is all this stuff that I love. And like, <laughs> theoretically there will be a live demo of one of them. Like someone's going to be hosting a live demo that may include some very well-known romance authors that like, Ooh, that's I'm, so fun. I'm like dying over, but I'm also just like, I want to see them play Jane Austen. Girl. <laughs> um, but again, like that's the thing. Where I'm just like, this is fun. Like, I, I don't know who's going to submit. Like the, some of the folks that submitted last year, like can't do it this year. Cause like they're doing stuff, but it's also like, that's why I want to open it up to year round too, to be like either once a month or so, you know, having a cool little pop-up because folks are always working on cool stuff in this community. Folks are always coming up with cool ideas. And like Bridgerton has created so many other discussion points for this space. And I think like, as we keep moving, as we grow as, you know, community members, as people, we're always going to come up with cool stuff. Somebody's doing like a, a retrospective on Pemberley Digital and all those wow. event diaries. And I'm yeah. like, yes, actually, I do want to like, I, I want to hear these things. And like, that's what's always cool to me. Like hearing these different perspectives. Cause I feel like, 
there are some, you know, in jazz, I'm like, there are some people that I'm, I've heard you like a million times. And like, I think you're cool, but also like, I might've heard this talk quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, it's like no offense, like someone's area study and like that they're really good at giving a talk. Cause like there are people who've heard my Mr. Darcy talk like four times. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to hear it again. It's fine. You don't need to know about how Wishbone is the best Darcy. Ever. Um, no, I will not bite you on that. I 100% agree. He's not, he's just shy, you guys. <laughs> That's the wishbones. Darcy isn't rude. He's just shy. He's so, it just turns out that he was shy. Oh, it's just it's he's cute. the best one. Like that's how you shut down those convos. You're just like, no, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like, Should we do an outtake of me singing the wishbone theme song? <laughs> You're welcome to sing it if you want. No, I won't do it right now. That's <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's just it's fun. It's a party, and I'm just like, that's the kind of Austin that I want. Like, I want hang out with people I want to like love a thing I want to come in at different spaces you don't have to love every single bit of everything but like ha- like Jane Con to me is just like because it's community made I love like that's you know the core of what I said yeah when I go to book clubs and I hear the people and the way they entered us and the way they talk about her and they love her I'm like that's what keeps me here that's what like I love like that's why I'm in these spaces because now I'll read Emma differently now I'm going to be like, oh, shit, just like, you know, years back, I don't remember the author, but she wrote that paper on Austin or on Emma's father and like how he, it might be signaling Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Her father had had Alzheimer's and like that changed so much of how I read Emma. Just like the next time I read her and I think about that, I'm like, oh, that's a critical thing to be thinking about when we contextualize this yeah and that's why I'm just like man like I love this I love this fandom you know I always get the question of like because of the jazz and stuff like oh my god are you not like Jane Austen I'm like Jasna doesn't own Jane Austen and like it's yeah, never right. going to right. and like yeah. just like Jasna right. was created because JAS Jane Austen Society they didn't agree with it and like there's always going to be those spaces that are like I don't really agree with how you're operating yeah. and that's fine clearly um and I'm just like we have to make spaces that we can be heard in and that we can share and feel safe in. And sometimes those just need to keep iterating and they need to keep going. And sometimes they just need to be brand new spaces. And that's just the reality. Um, Like that's literally the history of Jasnet. And I think they can continue on. Good luck to them. Good luck to whatever they're working on. But also there's a much wider community. And I think that's why the fandom owes owes you such a debt is because you're putting in the work to make this additional space, which it is so much work, Bianca. Like, I just want you to know, I see you. Like, it is so much work. Like, you gave, like, you know, as you said, so much work to Jasna on their behalf for free. You're doing all of this stuff. And it is a lot. And so many people are benefiting from it. And we just want to thank you for that. Oh, <laughs> thank you for, you know, I think the thing is, is, you know, there's, there's still people inside Jasmine who are trying to do stuff. So I'd say, you know, like, and that's good too. That's great. Like, if they feel like they can stay, yeah. I thought that I thought the reasoning you, you had was so compelling for the responsibility that you felt. And I think leaving was absolutely the right. I mean, you don't need my validation, <laughs> but you, you know, I think, I think leaving was like, the right thing times, for you. There are times when I stay up at night rethinking all my life. Choices, so thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I mean, like, I mean, you know, there are people who are still trying, they, they feel like there's still space for them there too. and that's great for them. Yeah. And I think the big thing is like in anyone's life advice, I tell them, like, if you feel like you're not being heard, if you feel like you're not being protected, you need to think about what that means for you, whether it's a job, 
to volunteer thing or whatever. Just you got to take care of yourself. I think yeah. that's just how we can live slightly healthier lives. And that's like life is too short, y'all. Life is too short. Like we just can't waste our time on this shit. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I haven't left you. the house in seven weeks. Life is too short. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, thank you. I I don't know if I, I I don't know if I do a ton for the community. I feel like I'm just like sometimes I make funny jokes and sometimes I let my ADHD undiagnosed <laughs> asterisk undiagnosed take effect and then I put together a whole podcast like idea and like four hours and then sometimes I'm like it takes me four weeks to do this one thing I could have done in an hour (laughs) (laughs) not that anyone needs to email me and diagnose me with the things I just said that I do Um, actually Bianca I think what you have is more of a XYZ (laughs) syndrome at the end of the day if people appreciate what I'm doing and like the stuff that I'm trying to foster like that's great um again like virtual Jane Con is made with a bunch of people this year it's made with the community yeah um if I can help be a part of fostering these spaces and supporting them that's all I can do like that's the least I can do for a space that I feel like has brought me a lot of joy it's more well, then, than I can do for the Star Wars community because I can't, you know, no one can say yeah. that honey like, <laughs> like you know for me no, you know what I have to say Something did save the Star Wars community, and it was that video of that scene from the most recent movie with Adam Driver running through oh, yes. set to the "I Need a Hero." I need a hero. I think yes. that that video single. I watched that a thousand times. That, that saved that movie for me. <laughs> Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah. Oh, she said she said it. Come on, yeah. oh, that is classic. <laughs> I actually, having watched that, increased my enjoyment of the film because now I like picture it. Well, and then what I wanted to add too was based off of what Bianca was saying was thank you to everyone who is participating in virtual Jane Con as well. And thank you to the whole community that has grown up around it. So it's very exciting. It's something to look forward to. Maybe I just, like I said, I don't get out, but it's something to look forward to. <laughs> like at the minimum, we just need these things. I get like a lot of people are like, it's the, it's the pandemic's over. I'm like, okay. Is it? Is it? Is it? Um, it's not, guys. I'm going to continue wow. operating like it isn't because it's not. And therefore, I'm going to keep planning these things. Um, people in Michigan are like, it ain't over, guys. <laughs> Oh man. They're just yeah. The 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 world is the place. And I'm just like, you know, if I can just make it a little like help support and cultivate a space where people can like enjoy a thing and feel safe. Like I have when I talk to people about like DEI efforts, I talk about like because some people feel so powerless. And I'm like, the first step is acknowledging your realm of influence. And like my realm of influence is the Austin space, right? Like, or at least like North Austin space. And that's why, like, that's been really important to me because I know the people there and I know I can make a change. And I know the people who are going to support that. But when I talk about Star Wars, I'm just like, the people that I talk to who want to do the work are too tired to do it. Yeah. And I think, like, that's the thing where it's just like, or there's been too much gatekeeping. And I'm just like, I don't, like, if you can't change, like, you can't change the world overnight. I can't change certain communities overnight. But, like... I can try in the spaces that I know I have some use and some power. And like, that's the big thing with power. It's like, how are you using it? How are you willing? And create your own space. That's what you did, Bianca. You just created your own. Uh, Yeah. I try not to be too much of like, I'm going to take my ball and go do what I want. (laughs) 
I tried to think. Basically, did, but it's just like everyone wants to come with me and do that. Yeah, I I tried to think of it less of like, you know, in my brain, I'm trying to think of it as a like, oh, like you shut, you said there weren't any seats for us here. Well, or like the Julia Roberts Pretty Woman, like big mistake, big Big. mistake, huge. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a zero sum game too as you said we all benefit i can be a member of jazz not and i can go to virtual jane con i can yeah. do all, be in all you know spaces that i want to be in as long as i'm not hurting anybody else or gatekeeping or you know what i mean so oh, you should have told it's the so jazz easy. of people like it's so easy you work, <laughs> you work on commission right <laughs> it's just like one of those things where i'm like you know they can continue how they want and i will continue how i feel like fandom is moving toward and what they're asking for and like that's who I'm beholden to like the community that has not only welcomed me but like embraced me and like I've hopefully embraced them back but not in a weird way (laughs) Um, only consensual embracing yeah it's purely consensual yeah um but it's just like I don't know I I I love these spaces and I've gotten so much from it and I want to give back to it because you know I like I just said, you know, my background of moving all across everywhere and finding camaraderie with Austin. Um, I think that's like a thing that's really important. Um, you know, when you're in a fandom, you automatically have that one thing in common. Yeah. And At least we know that someone likes Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something to talk about right away. There's something to put you at ease. Yeah. Yeah. There's a it's lot. Insta- of instant about. community. Just well, add that's Austin. Kind of, that's kind of the Kristen story, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess I kind of made a space because no one would listen to me, but it was just a space where I took up like a uh, space on the internet going, Rah, these are my well, I was thinking more about how you were saying, <laughs> I was thinking more about like kind of your, your origins coming to Austin where like you felt so with your social anxiety, it was something that was an entry point for you. Oh yeah. To deal sure. with that. Maybe. Do you want to quickly, actually, I think this is a perfect time to quickly go to the Wheat Chief to, so Bianca, the Wheat Chief is our like mailbag section. We link arms, all three of us, and we walk down the lane all to the Wheat Chief to check the mail. Yes. And I wanted to give a shout out to a reader who emailed us. So thank you to Melanie for writing in. She enjoyed our Bride and Prejudice podcast, and she is Indian herself. And she said, in terms of, she enjoyed the podcast, but in terms of the content, there was a ton of sort of like arranged marriage in Indian culture sort of subtext that what somebody, if we had asked somebody of Indian descent or who was Indian to come on the podcast, they could have really added to that conversation. And so, so maybe right. something for next time. And Melanie was so nice about it. She was like, I'm not looking for an apology or anything, but actually I did want to apologize because diversity should never be an afterthought. Like the, one of the reasons that we didn't really think about guests is because with Maggie's pregnancy, we had to reschedule that podcast like three times. Yeah. But that was my bad, but I don't think that's an excuse for not thinking about No, she's right. Like we both got her message. Like she's right. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So thank you for pointing that out. And I think that was a great, and maybe we can have a follow-on conversation with Selvi and Priya who were on our podcast or, for our role playing. Melanie or, making herself available. Yeah. Yeah, saying. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the, you raise your hand and you have a great idea. And then everyone's like, cool, you're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for volunteering, Melanie. Yeah. Thanks, Melanie. 
<laughs> and um, we had some other mailbags that because uh, Megan needs to go out, I'll just stay out, save for next time. But okay, um, yeah, sorry. I have Bianca, to go. is there any, any other last words you wanted to say at book hoarding is where you can find Bianca? Yeah, follow me, find me. I've launched a Patreon since I'm just going to shamelessly. Ooh, yeah, plug. the newsletter. Ooh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I have a Patreon and it just like right now it's just kind of going toward like supporting overall things. Eventually it'll support some other things that will be more in like a specific state that I can talk about more. But like uh-huh. it really supports like the DEI work and like the like marketing stuff and the like Jane Austen stuff that I'm doing where it's like it supports like a, the creative work that I'm doing. Um, but it's also like it's beneficial. So like if you join, like you'll be able to get like exclusive voting on like rom com like movie bracket nights that we're gonna do, and like you'll also get you know at even the lowest tier, you get access to a Discord server that's specifically for the folks cool. who are part of my Patreon. So like anyway, I have a thing, and I should be better self promotion, but I'm really bad at it because. I am, even though I do marketing all day for other people, <laughs> bad at for myself. Welcome. Well, I will promote people. it. And I will say that your Insta is awesome and yes. it's very fun. Yes. And okay. patterns too. Can't they get like exclusive patterns or something like did that, that? Did I see that? Yeah. Like at certain tiers, you get access to different stuff that I'm working okay. on. Um, and like one of them is like patterns that like I, I make and like put out into the world. So like you'd get access to that versus having to wait for me to like put it out on like an e-shop because That's that so takes cool. effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, Bianca. And so then I guess Maggie and I, Maggie, do you want to do the honors? Should we let Bianca do it? Bianca, we always say, we always say we have delighted you long enough. I think we should all say it together. Okay. Okay. Should we? Okay. So I'll count to three and we'll all say we have delighted you long enough. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. We, we have, have delighted, delighted you long, long enough. enough. That did not work on Zoom. 